This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We have what we call our, our outreach and narrative program in a way which help us to organize everything we do in terms of training and communication. In, in CMPC, we work with uh, three, what we call three levels of, of training and communication and two dimensions. And so I will explain it very briefly. This is Tom Fox. That was Carlos Munez, Chief Compliance Officer at CMPC in Chile. We have a great discussion about compliance in Latin America and Chile, and he has some fabulous tips for compliance training and communication. Really one of the best programs I've come across. I know you'll enjoy this episode with Carlos Munez on the FCPA Compliance Report. Are you interested in the intersection of Sherlock Holmes and compliance? If so, check out my great new podcast series, Adventures in Compliance, where I go through each story. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and you are in for a treat today because, as usual, I'm in for a treat. Today, with me, Carlos Villagran, and as you will soon determine, he is from south of Texas, way south of Texas, and indeed Latin America, and we're going to get to explore compliance in Latin America. So, Carlos, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you so much. I'm glad. I'm so happy to, to be here with you today. As I was telling you before, I'm a huge fan of some of your, many of your podcast series, so I really look forward to rise to the occasion. Thank you for the invitation. Could you start with your academic background, Carlos? Sure, sure. So, Tom, I'm a Chilean attorney. I graduated from Universidad Católica Law School here in Chile. I also have a master's degree from Georgetown, uh, where I focus my study on anti-corruption, uh, international white-collar crime, and economic sanctions. I currently serve as the 
director of compliance for CMPC, uh, which is a Chilean-based forest pulp and paper company. We might talk about the company a little bit more in, in later. I've been working in the compliance field since 20, 15 years now, already 15, 15 years now. I started in the insurance sector as a compliance officer for the local operations of Liberty Mutual, the insurance company based in Boston. And then I moved to the banking sector to work for the Mitsubishi Bank of Tokyo, which is now it's like American and Japanese bank. And then I went to America, to the U.S. to work, to study and then to work at the World Bank a little bit, at the TDT compliance office. And then I came back to Chile to work since 2018 for CMPC. Maybe we, got, we can go into more detail further, but my, my first job when I joined CMPC 2017 was to implement a compliance program to deal with a huge crisis that the company faced in between 2010 and 2015-16 regarding antitrust infringement in Chile and Peru. So my, my, my job was to a little bit to hit the ground running and to implement that, that compliance program. So that, that's pretty much it. I'm married. My, my wife, she's also an attorney. I have a son, Pedro, who's 32 years old. That's pretty much who I am. Tell us a little bit about CMPC. You introduced the company a little bit, but could you explain what pulp and paper is for our audience who may not understand? Absolutely. So CMPC is what you can look for in the U.S., West Rock or International Paper or even Kimberly Clark. Those are kind of competitors of some CMPC. CMPC, most of all, it's a natural resources company. Everything we do comes from the woods, from the forest, where we have to have, of course, high sustainability standards to work on those forests. and then we extract the wood and we produce several different items and products out of the, of the wood. Of course, construction materials, for example, Tom, in the U.S., our major, most important client is Home Depot, for example. We do, the company sells a lot of the wood products for construction purposes to Home Depot. We have pulp and paper that helps to, for the producers, for example, sanitary products. You can find uh, personal care products as well. And of course, packaging products, everything that helps to transport, to contain from foods, to pharmaceutical products, etc. It's made out of, out of pulp, basically, yeah. And then once again, uh, your role with the company currently. Yeah, of course. So I'm in charge of the compliance department. I am the director of compliance for the company. I manage a team of uh, seven people that are very uh, multidisciplinary team from attorneys to engineers, to data analysts and data scientists. So we have a very interesting mix there. We have, the company have presence everywhere in South America, in Latin America, actually. Operational, what we call industrial operation in Latin America, the US, China, and Europe. My job since 2018 to, to now, of course, is to design, to implement, and to manage what we call the integrity and compliance program. And, and the program has what we call five different functions. We don't work in terms of themes or activities, but, but functions. Narrative, which means how we deliver a message through training and communications. We have standard and practices, advisory, risk management, operation, and internal investigations. And the, the, the program covers everything from anti-corruption, anti-bribery, antitrust. Of course, Tom is a, a, a substantial and material risk for the company, antitrust, competition law. We do have to manage uh, our data privacy systems and programs. Economic sanctions have become very important for our program as well. And lately, compliance program has been, or the compliance function has been invited to participate in a human rights due diligence process for the whole company that eventually will make us to participate in the human rights risk mitigation as well. 
So what I'd like to maybe change the focus from your current work in the company and explore the challenges faced in Chile and the broader Latin America, if that's a fair question. So what are what do you see as some of the top compliance challenges within Chile or Latin America? Sure. <clears throat> so I will say, if you think about Latin America, Tom, I'll say that one of the biggest challenges is if you're working with a multinational company, is how you get your compliance program to work as, I would say, at a global level, like global and both local as well. So far, in my experience, anti-corruption regulations in Latin America seems are very similar. They have very similar text and content, penalties. The crimes are described in a very, very, in a very different fashion, uh, similar fashion, sorry. But what is really challenging in Latin America is how you deal, I think that happens everywhere, but in Latin America, is how you deal with the cultural nuances when it comes to implementing a compliance program. Okay, of course, you have your anti-corruption policy, but nothing really, or I will say in a different way, uh, how do you make that compliance anti-corruption policy to work in a place like Chile, Mexico, or Brazil, where the cultural factors, aspect, the language, the way they see, understand the corruption, for example, is so different. So first of all, I will say that's a huge challenge in Latin America at a global level, how we implement our, our pro- compliance programs to work at a local level. The other is money laundering, dear Tom Fox, money laundering. Because there is, unfortunately, illegal activities in Latin America. You have uh, corruption, of course, drug trafficking. You have human trafficking as well. You have a lot of money moving around. Because of COVID, I've read an article that many economists in Latin America survive COVID crisis due to what we can call uh, unlawful money or illegal money that was flowing and moving around everywhere, that was not captured by our controls in the in financial sectors or the banking sectors. I think Latin America is way behind when it, in terms of uh, AML efforts, which is, in my opinion, a core aspect of combating anti-corruption. Whether it, come, it, it relates to banking activity, what we do in the free trade zones, for example, I, I believe that when you start looking around that can be different in Colombia, for example, where due to historical reasons, they do have a more robust uh, AML, say, local policy, but you don't see that everywhere in Latin America. So I will say that you have that, those two, I would say major challenges, you have other challenges, but those two are the biggest that I have seen so far. How would, I've had the opportunity to go to Brazil several times, mm-hmm. and the compliance profession and compliance professionals I have met are very passionate about compliance, and they're very passionate about doing business ethically as well. I'd like to, I I say that as an introduction to ask you, how would you assess the compliance profession in Chile? That's amazing. I have to start by Brazil. Brazil is one of the core business units that CNPC has already, and companies expanding a lot in Brazil. I already have a a couple of, my my team members are located in, in Brazil. I think you can really see a huge difference between Brazil and Chile when it comes to compliance community, compliance professional. In Chile, our ethics and compliance field is, unfortunately, Tom, mostly captured by criminal attorneys, okay? Everything is about criminal law. Everything is about going to trial. Everything is about how you get your executives out of prison. It has a very theoretical perspective 
if you go to universities looking for a program to learn a little bit more, even our communities, local communities tend to be very theoretical, <coughs> not very pragmatic, I would say. It's very legalistic. Whether now, if you move to Brazil, I think that you, you already mentioned that, Tom, is that in Brazil you will see something different. I think that in Brazil you will see that a lesson was learned after Lava Jato, after all the red cases. You have a very strong community, not only comprised of or composed of attorneys. You have guys working on tech, <laughs> compliance tech, in, uh, artificial intelligence. You have a, a great consulting firms working on internal investigations. You have people talking about narrative. I participate in the last compliance um, in, in Brazil last a couple of months ago, and, and I was a panelist there. I, work, I, I participated in a panel. And look, in the middle of, of one of the days that, that during this conference, there was an event just to talk about diversity and inclusion. And, and the person who went there to talk about all the compliance professionals about diversity and inclusion was a transgender artist from Brazil. And, and that person talked from his or her perspective about how diversity and inclusion was all about compliance, was all about ethics, was all about business purpose. And, and we were all very engaged about the conversation. That's a very clear example of how you're getting your conversation. You're being passionate about it in Brazil, but unfortunately you don't see that in other countries in Latin America. So the, let me turn to a couple of issues regarding CMPC. First of all, who do you report to as the CCO, the general counsel, the directly to the CEO, board of directors? Can you explain your relationship to the board, if any? Of course. So I do report to the general counsel of the company. He's in charge of three departments, legal, compliance, and risk management. I am the one in charge of the compliance department, and I report to the general counsel. And I also report to the ethics and compliance committee, which is chaired by the president of the company, the CEO, other senior uh, executives are also part of that committee. Now, you will see, I think everywhere, but especially in Chile, you will see very different governance structure for the compliance program, Tom. And, and of course, you're always looking to get the more independent position with the more autonomy, hopefully reporting to the board, uh, which I, I have not a regular conversation or a, a relation with the, or the board, but I do have it through the Ethics and Compliance Committee. But I will say that in my current position, what I found to be like a good practice, if you have budget, you have the resources to fund your operation, your compliance operation with technology, people, process systems. If you have a seat at the table, at critical tables of the company, when you can be visible to the company. And finally, if you have access to the information of the company, to the accounting system, to do your job on the internal investigation side, I think you, have, you are in a very, I would say, comfortable position of compliance officer of a company. So that's pretty much the, the situation right now at CMC. I was really intrigued by your sort of broad discussion of the challenges you and your colleagues face because in the United States, third parties are still viewed as the highest risk in compliance and in and a corruption compliance specifically. But you talked about perhaps a broader, a different set of risks. At least I thought I heard that sometimes cultural factors, sometimes where our country may be in the maturity of their compliance programs. It may involve the specific government that a country in Latin America has. And it strikes me that compliance training and ongoing communications is critical 
for you to really work with the business units you do. If that's correct, how, how do you do training? Is it sort of annual training? Is it ongoing communications? Do you have short snippets? Uh, how do you do communications? So right now we, are, we have what we call our, our outreach and narrative program, in a way, which help us to organize everything we do in terms of training and communication. In, in CMPC, we work with uh, three, what we call three levels of, of training and communication and two dimensions. And so I will explain it very briefly. Um, the first level of training is what we call, uh, Tom, the general training. This is, these are broader activities, mostly e-learning courses, which are the core, core understanding and knowledge you have to have when it comes to ethics and compliance program in CMPC. From anti-corruption to antitrust, data privacy, sexual harassment, work harassment, that can be added. You can have additional workshops for on, during the onboarding process of key executives, but still that's, that's the first layer of training, which I call the general training that is mostly an ongoing training. Uh, and it's part of the everyday activities of our employees, 20,000 employees around the world. Now, we have a second layer that we call particular or particular or more special training. It's an additional layer. It has a more practical approach. It's focused towards high-risk areas, high-risk processes, exposed position, high-level executives. For example, here we have what we call, for just an example, the, what we call the words and action training program for ethical leadership. And words and actions comes from the DOJ guidance on, of compliance programs which has a question about how the leaders of a business with the words and actions promotes ethical behavior. So we have that program, that words and action programs for ethical behavior, for ethical leadership. That's part of what we call the second layers. Mike, a lot of micro-learning you will find here, custom e-learning about very particular topics, competition, interaction with, with competitors, interaction with public officials, gift tabling, managing conflict of interest. There are very specific topics and the workshops, which we can be live, on-site or virtual, target are tar for targeted staff, as I mentioned. We also have a, an additional, a new program for gatekeepers. That it's just a special workshop for that group of employees within the company that are are in charge of key controls within the company. So the language is different, the kind of things we train them, the real cases we practice with them are different since we are, they are gatekeepers. And then we have a third layer, which is what we call the integration training for new businesses. CMPC has been growing a lot. The company a few months ago acquired an operation in Kentucky, for example, in the US. We now have a, an industrial operation in Kentucky. We have a new one in Mexico, a new one in Brazil. So given the, all those, that M&A process, we created what we call an integration for new businesses process training program. And that's a mix between core uh, courses and more practical training as well. And there's those three layers of general, practical, and integration training and communication is crossed by two, I would say, dimensions, which are rules and values. They don't appear separate, separately, but we do take care, make sure that all of our training and, and communication activities do not only cover the rules side of the compliance and the integrity, integrity compliance program, but they do also appeal to, to, to our values commitment, commitment with integrity and with respect. And, and that, that has worked pretty well, mostly because 
we work very closely with HR, with communication team, and with the leaders as well. Um, that's a fi- as fine a description of training, a training protocol as I have ever heard. Let me ask you about uh, point on number two, the gatekeepers. Uh, do you prefer, do uh, live training? Is it your, personally you do lead the training? Is it part of your team? Could you uh, tell us a little bit more about what goes into the gatekeeper training? Oh, absolutely. Of course. So um, that gatekeepers, we to do it on site. We, we try to avoid making it on a virtual basis, like this, by Zoom or, or others, because that gatekeepers training program, we, we made it as a kind of a round table in the sense that, sure, you will find our basic presentation with basic content we want to cover during that session, but we do it in a different fashion. We do it more in an open <clears throat> conversation setting, and that's why we have to do it on, a, on an on-site uh, with, those, with our colleagues. That is made by <clears throat> or delivered by myself and my team. If we are uh, all the, or my, the seven uh, members of the ethics, the compliance department. We do, in one way or another, training and communication activities. And <clears throat> when it comes to gatekeepers, for example, we're talking about the IT team, accounting team, tax team, procurement team. We create, as I was telling you, roundtables, and we show them real cases that we investigated, the cases that went through the hotline of CMPC, the CMPC hotlines. We show them with more detail than usual how we did that investigation and all the set of red flags we found during that investigation. And we tell them that those red flags were, or in those cases, were not detected by the guys who actually were seeing that those active, that unlawful activity happening, you know, in those daily activities. We help them to train their eyes to see those red flags. That not necessarily mean a crime or a fraud, but those red flags uh, have to be managed in a way. So one side of that workshop with uh, uh, gatekeepers is fully practical on lessons learned and how if we do something like reverse engineering, how they could have uh, um, detected those cases before uh, it became a, a more complex issue. And the other side of the training is speak up, speak up. Those who are seeing those red flags on a daily basis, they sometimes they don't know who to answer, who to call, sorry, who to call, who to contact. We really reinforce that, that, that message of the importance of raising their hands, raising concerns, contacting their bosses, the, of course, the compliance team or the hotline. So <clears throat> we, do, and we do that, again, in a, in a more roundtable setting because... <clears throat> During those conversations, Tom, with those gatekeepers, we get a lot of information because those are the guys who are suffering from the business pressure, from very demanding objectives. They are the ones who are being asked to do something wrong or to skip a control. So since we start, start the workshop talking from, of a practical real case scenario, immediately they, they raise their hand and they start talking about their own real cases that they have faced or they are facing at the time. So those have, I will say, one of the most challenging and more um, useful trainings that we have because of the information we get from those guys. Yeah, Carlos, let me turn to ask you to put on your hat and look down the road to 2025 or maybe even 2030. And where do you see the Chile compliance profession and overall anti-corruption compliance literally down the road. 
<coughs> so if I think about Chile, and I think in the next three, four, five, ten years, first of all, I see a more, I'll say, um, a more diverse compliance uh, experts community. I hope to see a more diverse and diverse. Not talking about just. I'm, I'm thinking more of the, the, the understanding, the techniques, the kind of uh, capabilities we need within the compliance community. Uh, so I'm seeing a more diverse, a younger generation with more connections with the technology, with more understanding of data analytics, for example, as a normal way to do the job. So I see a more diverse community. Secondly, and you all can see this in Chile, Peru, Brazil, and in Colombia, Mexico as well a more active enforcement activity, I would say. I'll say that in Latin America, and that's the case for Chile as well, the problem is not, are not the laws or the regulations. In many cases, the problem is in the enforcement of those laws and regulations, the kind of techniques those guys have, the ones who are investigating companies, the kind of resources they have, the technology they have. So what I'm seeing lately in Latin America and, that, and also in Chile is that politicians are finally seeing that it's not about laws and more bureaucracy, which in the end creates more corruption. It's, you know, to, if you're combating crime with, with other organizations, criminal organizations who have more power, more influence, who have violence maybe, who have more resources, you have to equip your own guys, <clears throat> the ones who are doing the enforcement side of, the, of this task, with more resources, with more technology. I'm seeing that little by little happening, and I can imagine within five or ten years from now, that, that, that will be the huge difference in Latin America. Carlos, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on you or really any of the topics we've touched on today, what would be the pl- best place for them to go? Of course. So I'll say that, I'll say that podcasts podcast, Tom. We usually don't have a lot of time to be reading everything that goes that is published online. We have great blogs, newsletters, the one of Matt Kelly from Radical Compliance, who have, have the FCPA blog, of course. But in my personal opinion, Tom, I'm getting a lot of information, good ideas, best practices from other colleagues and peers from the industry and from podcast platforms. Tom, you have been a leader. You have an, been an inspiration for, for many of us by creating this, this atmosphere in which we can exchange ideas, practices. We can exchange good and bad experiences as well. A, a, a very good resource when you can go to get that, that understanding, that knowledge, are definitely podcasts. The ones that you manage, Tom, the ones from uh, LRN as well, podcasts and, and researches are very interesting. I'll say that FCPA blog, that will be definitely a good source of, of knowledge that I, I always going going back and forward to get more in understanding practical approach to what we do. I will recommend you definitely the Matt Kelly Radical Compliance new, Newsletter. I really like that one. It's very practical. It's, you only need three minutes to get into what you really need to do to, and to know in the compliance field. Of course, F, FCPA blog is a, it's a it's a classic now, and. Uh, and I will say that's pretty much it. I'm really getting a lot of information from podcasts. And of course, by participating in all networking events, conferences, I participate in the Compliance Week in 2022 in Washington, D.C. I went to the Compliance International Congress in Brazil, in Sao Paulo this year. And, and getting that, being part of the atmosphere, feeling that vibe uh, and, and exchanging those 
viewpoints and perspective with other experts in the field, I think that really energizes you and gives you the tools that you really need to work on the compliance field. Carlos, uh, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can uh, continue this conversation. Absolutely, Tom. Thank you so, so much for your time. And I, of course, as you, as you mentioned, I, I really hope, uh, looking forward to maybe to keep our continued discussion in a different opportunity. Thank you again, Tom, for the opportunity. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. I'd like to tell you about two great new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. Adventures in Compliance, where I look at the intersection of Sherlock Holmes, leadership, compliance, and business ethics. I'm doing all of the Sherlock Holmes stories as well as the novels. Another is Report from ECI 2023, where I interviewed speakers, guests, and participants at ECI 2023. I know you'll enjoy both of these new podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.